Hello and welcome to Six Ways from Sunday. Um, today I am joined online by a guest named Miranda Martini, who is the project assistant at Affirming Connections. Miranda, welcome to Six Ways from Sunday. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you online again. And uh, we've not met in person, but I feel like I know you a little bit because uh, how long ago was it? A while back, we did a Zoom call where you were interviewing me. So the tables are, are flipped now. Uh, you, you had myself and our minister here, Robin King, um, on Zoom, and you were interviewing us about our process in becoming uh, an affirming congregation here in Basha, uh, Basha, Alberta, at Basha United Church. So uh, why I, I wanted to have you on the show is that I'm really interested in hearing more about um, where that story went after you interviewed Robin and myself. Uh, that was part of a project called Small Towns, Big Impacts. And so I'd, li I'd love to sort of unpack uh, that project and then also just talk a little bit about what Affirming Connections is. So let's start with uh, maybe the organization that you, you work with. What is Affirming Connections? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Affirming Connections was founded in 2018 by Pam Rocker, who's the, the current director. Um, she and uh, I know that Pam is going to listen to this later, so I better I better get my facts <laughs> right. Um, she founded Affirming Connections uh, because she knew that religious-based discrimination against queer folks uh, was still uh, very much rampant, um, and that religious attacks require religious responses. So she wanted to uh, host a brave space for uh, faith communities that were interested in being uh, radically affirming and welcoming to queer people, um, could uh, connect with each other, could access resources um, on how to do that important work, um, and could be in community with each other. And it's still going strong today. Um, we host uh, lots of events and programming throughout the year, um, as well as uh, assisting with with advocacy work, um, providing uh, you know as much of a, a wider platform as we can for uh, work uh, to create more more space for for affirming faith communities in in public conversations. So that's included. Um, agitating for uh, reform around conversion therapy. And um, we're, we're so glad that there is now a nationwide ban of conversion therapy, um, affirming connections. And, and Pam specifically was really involved in the work around a city uh, conversion therapy ban in, in Calgary. So that's so, a bit of a primer. Yeah. So, and you know what, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it, but we actually had Pam on the podcast a while back, uh, specifically about that story and her work in uh, her activism work in advocating for that ban. Um, and I was deeply impacted by, by that conversation with her. I had no idea that it was such uh, a problem still. I, I had kind of vaguely heard that conversion therapy was a thing, uh, it's horrifying to, to imagine that it was still going on. And so what a, what a wonderful victory um, for the movement, you know, to, to have that ban in place. Can you tell us a little bit more about how, because I, I, I'm trying to remember what exactly the date was when Pam and I had that conversation, but uh, I know that where, where they were at in the process was that 
this was not a certainty that there was going to be this success in the end. And so um, I'm really curious to learn more about how how that uh, kind of unfolded. Yeah, happy to. This is actually top of mind because um, Pam uh, just contributed an essay uh, that will appear on Law now shortly, I believe, um, that was uh, talking about um, what the conversion therapy ban means to her and and the work um, that she she did um, to support that. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm, I'm delighted to say that uh, conversion therapy was first of all banned in Edmonton in 2019 on, on December 10th, 2019. Um, and then shortly after that in Calgary on May 25th, 2020. And then uh, the nationwide conversion therapy ban uh, followed in 2021. Um, so that's, that's amazing news. I will say that there is evidence that conversion therapy is still occurring across the country. Um, of course, we all know that people do illegal things all the time, and, and there's, there's a lot of room between something being banned and being eliminated. So for sure, uh, part, of, part of the work we're interested in doing now is making sure that, that everyone who was involved in the work of, of seeing that ban through and, and everyone who is more aware of the issue now um, remains vigilant and, and on the lookout in their faith communities for that mm. uh, that terrible practice continuing. I, I was listening to a podcast last night um, while out for a walk in on the, this beautiful nature trail in our community, and um, it was fitting setting to for what I was listening to because it was all about climate change and climate change solutions. And I, I came across a term that was uh, used in this conversation that I'd never heard before. It was the policy placebo effect. So I don't know if you've ever heard that, but um, she explained it as, for example, let's say there's an endangered bird species that all of a sudden a, a new um, policy or something comes out that's going to protect this endangered species. Then what they've noticed happen in the conservation community is that there's this public perception that, oh, that bird is safe now. But just because there's a policy doesn't mean all of a sudden that that species that's on the decline is suddenly safe. So the, the, the actual actions out in the world often don't line up with a policy that a new policy that's put in place to create change. So it, it, and it's a beautiful parallel with what you're talking about. Just because conversion therapy is all of a sudden banned doesn't mean that it's not happening. <laughs> doesn't mean that all of those who are at risk of being harmed through conversion therapy are safe. And so the, the work then still must continue, in other words. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad to know about this, this phrase now. I feel like I'm going to use it all the time because that's exactly right. Um, we, it's easy to get complacent, right? If you mm -hmm. feel like this is with the authorities now and they will yeah. handle it and, and, and protect <laughs> us. But I mean, legislation is created by people. You know, it's it's created by the people who agitate, you know, that it, it's necessary. It's created by the people who write it. Um, and then it's people who enforce it and interpret it. Um, and, you know, it, it's like people say about voting in elections, like that's the, that's 101 for your civic engagement. That's where it starts. 
Mm. But the real work is remaining engaged and not feeling like, well, we, you know, we elected someone to be in charge of this and now they'll take care of it. It's, it's, yeah, uh, it's work that we hands. all do. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what is being done and what can people do? What should we be doing collectively um, to make sure that that's not just a, you know, it's, it's a bright light. It's a signal. It's a, it's a victory for sure to see that policy change. Um, and, and it likely wouldn't have happened without the hard work of people advocating and, and activists um, making their voices heard. What do we do next and how can people get involved? Uh, that's a great question, and the answer is is complicated, and I don't know that I can provide a satisfying answer now. Um, I do know that um, being empowered with some understanding of what the the ban actually is and does is a really good place to start. Um, and I I have to shout out uh, the CPLEA, the Center for Public Legal Education, Alberta for that. Um, they have a number of terrific resources on their website. Um, I actually just attended uh, an event on conversion therapy ban and uh, this exact subject of, of what happens next a couple of weeks ago that was really informative. I believe that was recorded and is available on, on their website now for anyone who's interested in checking it out. Um, but they have a ton of resources that are explicitly for that, for engaging the public in um, what that ban means, what it says, what it doesn't do, and uh, what um, may not be captured in that that, that ordinary folks and, and faith communities should be on the lookout for. Um, I guess what I would say personally from my perspective as not a lawyer, <laughs> but a, a regular queer person of faith is that um, this is not work for people who have already been harmed by conversion therapy to do, or, or people who are currently at risk. I, I think uh, it's, it uh, makes sense to me that it's largely on the shoulders of those of us who have been fortunate enough to not be at, at risk um, for faith communities convincing us that we're fundamentally wrong or broken in some way mm -hmm. to take on the extra legwork of being vigilant in our communities, of being publicly and explicitly and intentionally welcoming and, and finding all kinds of ways to let um, queer folks in our communities know that they are great as they are, mm -hmm. that they belong in our faith communities and in leadership roles. Um, and that we are, are safe uh, audiences for them to tell us if they do feel like they're, they're at risk of someone in their life um, trying to convince them otherwise. So for, in case we have listeners who are not really familiar with what conversion therapy and what the ban is all about, and we don't need to spend too much more time on, the, on this topic because I've got lots of other stuff I want to ask you about, but um, just kind of at a high level, who is at risk and, and what is the pressing need for this transformation coming from? Um, so the, uh, I guess the, the definition of conversion therapy is, is maybe important here. So it, uh, that means a practice or, or treatment or service. And I, I say treatment in big air quotes, um, that's designed to, 
change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, sexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender or the, the gender that they were assigned at birth, um, change a person's gender expression so that it, it more closely conforms with that person's sex assigned at birth, um, to repress or reduce non-heterosexual att attraction or sexual behavior, um, repress or reduce a person's gender expression that doesn't conform with their, their sex assigned at birth. So, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about conversion, quote unquote, therapy. Um, it doesn't include uh, practices or treatments or services that, that don't assume um, one sexual orientation or identity or expression is, is preferred to another um, and it doesn't include talking about sexual identity or, or, or gender. So um, I guess for me, what that means is that the people most at risk are uh, not necessarily those who have faced people in their life um, discriminating against them or expressing misgivings about their, their sexual uh, identity or their gender, but uh, folks who have had uh, uh, have someone in a position of authority in their life who is medicalizing that or pathologizing those aspects of their identity. Got it. Um, and the churches are not the only culprit of that, but they certainly play a role in that and can have, have ties with that, that wellness industry that um, can, can do, do that sort of harm. Um, and uh, I think in particular, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think that uh, the folks who are most vulnerable are the people who are more, most vulnerable and marginalized generally across society. Already, so yeah. the young um, folks who are dealing with poverty, uh, people of color, trans folks, uh, or gender non-conforming folks, folks in rural communities where they may not have access to a huge support network and, and more just more, more um, people to see how many different kinds of, of people there are who are living successful <laughs> lives. Yeah. Um, if you have a robust support network of adults that you trust in your life, um, then you are far less likely to, to be vulnerable to someone saying, um, you, you are fundamentally broken because yeah. look, you can't see anyone like you in this, this community. Yeah. So that must be, mean that you need to to change and conform to what you see around you yeah so would you say that the one of the first steps of becoming victimized by um something like conversion therapy is for the victim to whether it's because of a lack of seeing um, positive role models like them that they can identify with whether they're just uh, not connected to resources feeling isolated uh in a you know maybe a conservative um religious context uh, of growing up that they they actually start to believe that they themselves are broken and that they're that they need to change that they need to um that there's something wrong with their sexuality or their gender identity yeah i think that's incredibly common uh, that's mm -hmm. unfortunately a very uh common story in stories about victims of conversion therapy and and even just stories of uh, queer narratives of of mm -hmm. folks who haven't been exposed to conversion therapy. There's 
but just discrimination yeah. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that Pam talks about this a bit in her essay, but but yeah, when you're a young queer person raised in a faith community, it's it's very easy to internalize messages that you are are wrong and that it's on you to to change, even if people aren't saying it in so many words. Right. Of course. Um, which is part of why it's so important to be explicit about this, to to use your words and all of the other tools available to you to to tell um, queer kids in your life that they're, they are, are great and to hook them up with resources. This is part of, um, what, uh, interviewing folks for, for small town, big impact, uh, did it really opened my eyes to how important it is for there to be a network of, um, affirming, uh, churches and, and other faith communities that are in contact with each other, because then that just gives you a, more tools in your toolbox for, for telling, um, your marginalized congregants, um, listen, you may not have, you know, have someone next to you in the, the pew whose experience is similar to yours, but I can introduce you to, to someone who knows exactly what you're going through, you know, one town over or, mm. uh, you know, uh, the nearest big city. Um, it, yeah, it just makes your world bigger. Uh, if you are a, an affirming uh, faith community, if you, if you can be put in touch with with other faith communities that are like yours. That. So before we dive into that project, the small towns, big impacts um, stories that you put together, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about affirming connections and the work, like the how, what that actually looks like out in the real world, connecting these small communities that I, I can totally relate to it. I mean, I live. I grew up in Pinoca, a small town in central Alberta, and now live in Basha, an even smaller town in central Alberta. Um, very rural, quite conservative in many ways. Our, our United Church in Pinoca and here in Basha are um, maybe in some ways a little oasis or island within a sea of, of conservative culture. Um, and there are, of course, exceptions to that. But we, we see the need for that public, intentional and explicit inclusivity to be broadcast out to all people because often the people who need it uh, to hear that and to have that support are an invisible um, minority group, right? In, in rural communities, especially. So how does Affirming Connections um, create those bridges and provide that support to little, little towns like Basha that might be on the journey towards becoming an affirming congregation or might not, um, but are, are grappling with all of the stuff that we've been talking about. That's a great question. Um, and I'm going to sound like a bit of a, an ad reel for affirming connections here, <laughs> but there are a lot of ways that, that we can support that work. Um, we, if you go to affirmingconnections.com, you'll find uh, a list of affirming ministries that's updated frequently um, across Alberta. Um, so if you, uh, if you think that there isn't, uh, you know, an affirming um, faith community near you, you may go there and find actually there, there are more than you expected. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll, we'll point you in the right direction to get in contact with them. We have a very robust list of resources for, uh, for both um, LGBTQ2SIA plus folks to, to 
learn more about the affirming uh, supports that are available to them from a faith perspective, um, and lots of resources for allies um, in faith communities that are, are looking for either ways that they can support their, their queer car- congregants and neighbors, or uh, just ways they can educate themselves on, on uh, terminology and, and um, the intricacies of, of the queer community, again, mm. from a faith perspective. So those uh, we've heard are um, extremely useful to folks, and we, we update them as we discover new resources. So we're always on the lookout. Um, another uh, thing that, that we champion is Pi Day. Um, so uh, that's that's uh, 3.14, March 14th every year um, is uh, a time to celebrate uh, PI, which for us stands for public, intentional and explicit um, and is uh, a national affirming day. So that's a chance for if you are already affirming uh, your, your faith community is affirming, that's a chance for you to celebrate that to reconnect with what that means with your congregation and, you know, to eat some pie. Um, if you <laughs> are, be better? yeah, it's uh, it's the perfect combination. Anything goes well with pie. Um, but it's also a chance for, if you are interested in starting that process, um, mm-hmm. you will get lots of resources thrown your way about, about how to do that, how to uh, go through that process um, with Affirm United, uh, and also how to, to begin that work internally with, with conversations um, among your, your, your congregants. Yeah, very cool. Um, and of course, we have lots of videos. Uh, most recently, we have the Small Town Big Impact series, which is really terrific. And I encourage you to check it out now. Um, and you can, you can catch Ben in that uh, with some terrific insights. Uh, we also produced a video called What the Hell?, where we talked to um, queer people and allies of faith about uh, the concept of hell and and how it has been uh, used uh, largely against queer folks um, in in religious contexts, mm-hmm. but also about about trying to reclaim some some empowerment from from the all of the ways that hell means in our in our culture to make people feel more safe and, and loved in their, their faith. That is a tremendous list of resources and, um, and just work that you guys are doing. Um, <laughs> that was a bit of an it, info dump and I'm sorry for that. No, it's a beautiful. I love it. And uh, I definitely want to encourage people to go and check that out at affirmingconnections.com where I think everything that you mentioned can be found uh, through that website. And uh, before, so I, I want to kind of pivot into talking about the the video series that you just mentioned, uh, the small town big impact. But first, one question that popped up for me in my head just while you were talking about, uh, you know, church congregations that might be interested in uh, becoming an affirming faith community um, and getting them connected with Affirm United. Is there now? This might just be an ignorant question, but do you do you see uh, faith communities that are not part of the United Church of Canada um, showing interest in becoming affirming? Or is that pretty rare? Or is is the quote-unquote affirming label a United Church label full stop? 
Um, I mean, here is where I, I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't have all of the facts. I can tell you for sure that there are individual uh, churches in different denominations and uh, indeed faith communities that aren't Christian at all that are very interested in doing this work. Um, uh, the the affirming label, um, uh, you know, as we're talking about it here, um, is a, a united uh term uh, and uh, yeah, yeah in, in order to be recognized as an affirming church with, uh, by the, the United Church of, of Canada, um, there is a process for becoming that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are of course churches that um, consider themselves to be affirming and and provide services and, and programming around that that don't have that rubber stamp. Um, there are lots of good reasons to become officially affirming with a capital A, but there's also lots that you can do um, before that or, or beyond that. Mm. Um, I know that there are several, uh, the, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, there are individual churches and individuals within leadership of that denomination that are um are doing great work around around being affirming. I believe that the current moderator for the Presbyterian Church of Canada is is queer and is is very interested in in um, communicating with with affirming uh, oh, wow. churches across Canada. Yeah. Um, so that's I mean that's fantastic in and of itself. Um, and I know that. Uh, there are Anglican, there, I, I know of, uh, I'm thinking of St. Stephen's Anglican in Calgary, which is um, a very welcoming community and has made that really central to their identity. Uh, the Anglican Diocese uh, has not um, ruled that, that they are an affirming denomination, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't um, folks Within leadership and and also right. ordinary congregants who are aren't agitating for that. For sure, yeah, I, I don't think we have a monopoly in, as United Churches across Canada um, on being affirming, but uh, it's great that that the United Church of Canada has uh, taken sort of a leadership role in creating an, a more official channel through which you can have that designation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah. interesting that when you, when you, when, for me anyway, when I'm in other communities, if I see like a church that has a rainbow painted on their door or some kind of signage or a banner or like in our um, community here in Basha and at the Pinocchio United Church as well, a giant rainbow sidewalk leading up to the front door, that's like those really bold statements. Often I'll see that and I'll think, oh, it must be a United Church. And nine times out of 10, it is, <laughs> but not always. But it's I, I am proud of the fact that um, that we are one of the churches, one of the denominations that is the more you know the more progressive theology and more progressive in practice in being inclusive and um, and just embracing and celebrating for creating these safe spaces where people can just be themselves. Totally. I think that's one thing that the United Church has been really amazing at is providing a roadmap and, and a model for other denominations um, to 
to to make this work really really mm-hmm. explicit and embedded in every mm-hmm. every part uh, every every stage of of those faith communities and and yeah I like I love to see I love to see those those physical external signifiers that that a faith community is is welcoming and I feel like part of the reason that is more common than than it was you know five ten years ago is the United Church has just made that made that sort of part of the uh, the tools available to you to, to mm. signify mm-hmm. to folks that you're a welcoming community. And, and so now I think not just churches, but lots of, lots of institutions, public and private institutions go, Oh yeah, this is a way that we can communicate that. That's really easy for us to do. Yeah. But it makes such a, a difference like we in the years that we've had our rainbow sidewalk in basha and it's been repainted a couple times to keep the colors vibrant um so it's been there a while and we have heard so many people say you know what that's meant to them uh, whether it's people that are are not um residents of our community but just are here visiting someone or passing through and happen to see it or they see it online and they think wow in in little little old Basha, Alberta, that's that's there. Hey, wow, that's okay. It's like a little glimmer of hope, and um, you know this signal, this really loud signal that there's change happening and there's a safe space here. And so, whether whether that person who sees it and is impacted by it ends up, you know, joining us on a Sunday morning for a worship service or not, is kind of not the point. Um, mm. it still impacted people's lives just by seeing it, just by walking by. Totally. Totally. This is something that we heard, uh, I, I think, from from several folks, perhaps including you, but um, uh, I believe it's Julita Dottis who says it in uh, Small Town Big Impact that what you don't capture with, um, you know, what, what you don't see in the numbers around, um, you know, having a pride flag or rainbow steps outside your church is the, the passers-by who see that and are impacted by it. Um, mm. Especially with, with faith communities where I think a lot of queer people have experienced harm, I think in some ways that means even more from, from a church, uh, even if you are not a person of faith, to see that and think, wow, even... Uh, you know, this place that has for so long been associated with shutting us out, um, there are now communities that that, that want us and, and see us. Um, you know, I think that can be really, really meaningful, even if you never, never set foot in a church. For sure. So you mentioned one of the other uh, interviewees in your, your video project, um, who was also a guest on Six Ways from Sunday a couple years back. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Small Towns Big Impact. What, uh, where did this project come from? What did it aim to, to do? And, and then we can talk a little bit of, about some of the stuff that, uh, that you learned from it. Totally. Um, well, I, I believe it was about a year ago, Affirming Connections put out a survey um, asking for for input on um, what people who who follow our work or have attended our events or or made use of our resources would like to see what would be useful to them in terms of the resources we can provide and also who they were because we didn't have great 
stats on, on who all was using our resources at that point. And what we heard really clearly, um, or one of the things we heard really clearly, was that um, there were lots of folks in smaller communities um, and rural areas who felt isolated from the affirming network, um, who felt a bit at a loss for how to support um, their queer congregants or, mm. or um, you know, even just how to start that process. And um, that was that was the thing that they looked to us to, to provide support with. So that was the, the seed of Small Town Big Impact um, because we, we knew that there would be some commonalities across the experiences of affirming churches in, in, in rural areas or, or smaller towns. Um, and that hearing from those churches would, would be useful, we suspected, to, to churches that um, were interested in, in that but didn't really know how to start. And we didn't know exactly what we would learn, but I think we hoped that we would discover that um, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes about rural communities and small towns that are just wrong or or <laughs> not as true as people think they are there are lots of lots of really caring and kind and um brave folks doing the work of of being affirming um in in those areas and it, big cities have a concentration of resources just because there's more people but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, cities uh, own all of the the, the um, good ideas around around what right. it means to be affirming. Sometimes in your in these small communities, um, by definition, we just have to be more innovative and more thrifty with our our dollars that our nonprofits have, and and find really creative and, and amazing ways to to resource people in need or to make connections and to to leverage what we have and so I'm sure that you heard some really cool stories um, in talking to folks in smaller towns about where they're having successes how they're getting there um, share a little bit about uh, some of the stories that you did here and ones that stand out for you sure well I mean I will certainly um Shout out Bashaw here. Uh, I was really delighted by the kind of uh, innovation and um, uh, ambition that you talked about in our, our interview with the faith community. And I believe what you said was something, uh, if I can paraphrase you back to you, um, once you sort of have started building that muscle of doing things a bit differently, it gets easier to do that as you go forwards. So, um, you know, this was maybe an asset of the, the COVID years. Um, I mean, there are lots of dark spots to that, but one silver lining is that a lot of churches invested in um, better connectivity online so that they could um, gather online as a community, but that infrastructure also meant that they could gather with other communities and just make their world bigger. Um, and once people had the, 
the kind of knowledge base to do that, um, they were more comfortable doing new things, uh, you know, after that, uh, mm. new things like uh, figuring out how to become affirming. We heard from uh, lots of churches that you know, once they achieved that affirming designation, they were fired up to see what else they could do to become more radically inclusive. You know, are we as accessible as we could be? Um, you know, what can we do to support disabled folks uh, in our congregation? What can we do to create more conversations between our, our youngest and our oldest congregants? Uh, you know, how are we uh, providing shelter for, for folks who are marginalized across all kinds of axes in our midst, um, you know, within the faith community and without it? So that's a lot of what I heard that that really excited me. Um, I also found, and uh, I, I know I said that we were hoping to debunk some of the stereotypes around small communities, but I was genuinely surprised by how different these communities were from each other. Of course, there were there were shared experiences, and we heard some stories over and over again. But small towns are really not a monolith. And what works for, for one community might not work for a, another. Or, you know, as you say, because you maybe don't have access to all of the resources of a big city, you have to kind of innovate and figure out your own path. And, and that can produce some really wonderful results. Um, so I, I hope that folks who watch the, the videos will steal ideas from, <laughs> from the, the, the churches that we feature. I guess that's um, kind of the whole point, right? Is to get those ideas out there. Exactly. And what I would love, my dream personally, is that, um, you know, we, Affirming Connections is able to provide a platform for those those communities to talk to each other beyond mm. the video. Um, because there, it's one thing to point a camera at someone and hear their story, but it's another to get to talk to each other directly. And I just feel like, it's such a moving target. Things change so quickly that, uh, you know, there are almost certainly cool ideas and projects that we missed when we, we uh, finished these videos that um, I would, I would love uh, all of the, the affirming churches across Alberta that, that are more isolated to, to feel like they can reach out to each other and lean on each other as a resource. Mm, that would be such a beautiful outcome of your project. Um, and I think that I've seen a little bit of that starting to happen already. Uh, like in our faith community here, we've uh, we've been starting to talk to more uh, other United Church, small United Church communities, um, not just in our immediate area, but around Alberta. Um, and it's not always necessarily specifically about uh, affirming. It might be more about, uh, like you, you talked about, ad uh, adoption of new technologies, and uh, maybe they have questions uh, about live streaming, and they've seen some of the stuff that Rising Spirit has done. But even when those conversations are initiated because of something as simple as, you know, a question about video equipment or something, I feel like it's an opportunity to sort of show our stripes and to have a little bit of an impact on other communities and show them what we're all about. And I, I have to believe that 
the work that we're doing to, in becoming an, uh, an affirming uh, congregation shines through even when maybe we ourselves don't realize it, that it's just becoming gradually more part of our DNA, how we uh, engage, how we are inclusive. And I just, I hope anyway, that as more and more uh, faith communities get connected, that they start to, to just sort of feel the, the energy of that, that affirming is part of who we are and part of what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put, Ben. Um, I think embedding it in your DNA is exactly right. Um, and yeah, it doesn't really matter what you're connecting with another faith community on um, because, you know, the importance of your affirming work will will shine through across things. I think this is true of advocacy work uh, of all kinds. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel stymied by by how they can be more more supportive to marginalized communities because they think it's you know a matter of saying i support queer people or you know and then they don't know where to go beyond that <laughs> but yeah. i mean if you can think about um what you're good at where you shine and how you can use that skill set on behalf of of folks who are, are more vulnerable than you or if you can think about the ways in which you are, are privileged and, and fortunate and how you can leverage that on behalf of folks who don't have that privilege, that, it, that is something that you can do um, without ever saying the word affirming. Um, you can be affirming with your, your actions. And I think mm -hmm. there are lots of ways to do that. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful, Miranda. I love that. Um, I think this is maybe a, a natural place to kind of wrap up our conversation for, for today. I'm really curious to just keep um, following along and, and seeing uh, the work that you're doing continue to evolve and to expand. Uh, I, I, I loved the videos, so congratulations on the success of the project itself. Um, I, and I, I really love it because I get excited by stories of you know, big impact coming out of unlikely places and coming out of small communities that people have never heard of. And those, uh, those surprising stories are exciting to me. And um, one that actually we just had on our last episode of this podcast was a story about Rainbow Camp that I was just telling you about um, before we started recording here today. Uh, so Harry and Chris um, were my guests on the last episode, and they are the founders of Rainbow Camp out of a tiny little town in northern Ontario, Thessalon, Ontario, that is impacting hundreds of LGBTQ2SI plus uh, youth who um, come to this, this camp in the remote wilderness of northern Ontario and have five days where they can just completely be themselves and feel safe and feel like they belong and feel understood and feel seen. And so the impact that they're having with their camp is just enormous and coming out of this little town. Uh, it's just a really cool story. So um, we, uh, we definitely uh, are seeing that in places outside of just our scope of, you know, rural Alberta here that you and I share. And it's really cool to hear some of those other stories too. Um, what is next for you, for you, Miranda, now that this uh, Small Towns Big Impact video project is complete? Do you have uh, other projects coming down the pipe that, uh, that you'd like to, to share a little bit about before we wrap up? 
Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so the next um, major event on our, our horizon in affirming connections is Citywide Pride. Um, and that will take place in Calgary. Um, I can tell you the, the date even because we've just started having meetings to decide this. That will be on the, the first Sunday of Calgary Pride, which is uh, Sunday, August 28th. So not for a little while, but planning is in full swing there. Um, and our, our hope is that that will uh, be happening physically in person in Calgary, which, which hasn't happened since 2019. So we're really tickled to be able to do that. But we will uh, also have it be a, a hybrid celebration because we've so enjoyed having people able to tune in, not just from across Alberta, but across Canada and occasionally farther, farther flung than that for that celebration. So um, we'll, we'll certainly be, be shouting details uh, around that from the rooftops soon. But in the meantime, uh, feel free to, to mark your calendars for August 28th uh, for, for Citywide Pride. And we hope that you'll, you'll come out and celebrate with us. That's really cool. And I'd love to hear that you're continuing to um, to make it accessible uh, to people that aren't just physically right there in the city. It's one of the, the echoes of the, the COVID pandemic that I think is a positive impact on our society that we're starting to realize that, hey, some of these ways that we've been forced to pivot to for a couple of years kind of work and we can use that to, um, to grow our networks or to expand our impact um, mm -hmm. even after things are, you know, not returning to normal, but returning to um, being able to, you know, be in person and all that sort of thing. So uh, yeah. that's really cool that you're doing that and uh, really exciting. I hope that it's going to be a wonderful celebration. I, mean, I know that it will be. Uh, hopefully there will be excellent weather that day and everything. And, um, <laughs> and if I'm not there in person, I just hope that you guys have a great time. So I, we'll wrap it up here for now, Miranda, but it, again, it was so good to reconnect with you and to hear more, more about Affirming Connections, but also just more about uh, where the video project, uh, Small Town Big Impact, uh, went after our last conversation where you were interviewing uh, Robin and I. And um, again, I love the videos, love the work that you're doing. Thank you for doing it. And uh, all the best with the rest of the summer and onwards. And hopefully we'll have you on the show again in the future. Yeah, I'd love that. It's uh, great to talk to you today, uh, Ben. I really appreciate you having me. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I'm sure that you enjoyed hearing more from Miranda and you can find out more information about uh, the work that Affirming Connections is doing at, at their website, affirmingconnections.com. You can also uh, check out past episodes of this podcast at risingspiritministry.com or by subscribing to the podcast by just searching Six Ways from Sunday on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We've got a new episode coming out every second Friday. So uh, lots of great episodes and conversations already this year. This is our fifth season of the podcast. So there's tons of content to sift through if you go uh, back into the archives and lots of great stuff coming up soon. So thanks again for joining us today. Until next time, take care and be well.